Dean, how are we doing, buddy? Good, good. When Dean Kephart talks, Matt Lautner is going to listen. So is Matt Sherman. Today is Saturday, May 21st. Matt Lautner coming to you from Millbank, South Dakota. Uh, just getting ready to pull into Jay Mertens. That many, many years ago, about 15, 16, 17 years ago, raised a bull called Golden Child, a heat wave, who made who. Uh, that me and old Troy Polyak ran it straight up, Bill Lautner. It's not the point for the conversation today. Today I'm joined by, I mean, the only way to describe him would be a Mount Rushmore influencer. I mean, you could call him a breeder. You could call him a bull owner. You could call him a owner of a dog feed business or something something to do with dogs i've heard rumor uh and dean can go into detail about anything that dean wants to go into detail about but i don't know the story of dean kephart if uh dean wants to go long form and give a more complete history eventually we darn sure can do that i promised him today would be a short 10 to 15 minute episode and uh yeah tell me dean where did you get your start uh what has been, I'm not asking to give away your playbook, but what has been like your bread and butter money makers through the years inside of cattle and outside of cattle? And then, uh, yeah, we'll just kind of go from there. Oh, you know, Matt, it probably all started with uh, FFA and stuff, and I was uh, blessed with some uh, pretty high-profile people, I sure thought at that time. Uh, I was around Larry Horn. He was, when I was in 4-H, he was an ag teacher, which would be Brandon Horn's dad. And then uh, Alan Copas, Mark Copas's dad, was my ag teacher all through school. And we traveled a bunch together and, and uh, bought calves, showed calves, traded calves, and, and it just... What I done went on from there with those guys. I mean, they were probably the influential ones, and and then of course my dad was supportive in the deal, and and then started cowherd and started raising kids. Tell me about your own personal history with Larry Horn, Brandon's dad, and uh, maybe a little bit back backstory about that. Well, Larry uh, was raised over here at Cordell, which is. Uh, Steve Bonham's from Cordell. Bobby Maddox is from Cordell. Uh, the Sturgeon Boy now is from Cordell. I mean, there's been a lot of people from Cordell. and and Cordell. Or how in the world do so many of these, like, world-class cattle people, how in the heck do they come from this one town? Mm, I'd say that guys are doing it, and... Uh, other guys follow in their footstep and want to do it, and then there's a lot of sure. guys with a lot of talent, you know. And and uh, sure. you know, I and I worked uh, I worked for Bonham for a while, and I can remember when Steve was a a little kid, he'd set up there every calf that went through the chute, he'd set up there and auction the calf off, you know. It was, uh, you know, I mean, you you knew these guys are gonna make a living in this business. You said you worked for Bonham? Is that what you said? Yeah, for I worked for him for about a year. Jill and Steve was showing and fitting kids for him. Yep. I had no idea. That's that's the sort of history that I think is really cool. So uh, I guess Larry, I mean, just 
put it in perspective for us, like Alan Copas and Larry Horn and yourself, I mean, I don't know. Could you compare it to a modern-day situation? Like one was a breeder, one was a seller, and one was... At one time, Alan Copas and Larry Horn, they were partner some trading cattle together. I mean... Uh, okay. And then, and then uh, they had a deal called Doc Bonham and, and Larry had a deal called Circle Horn Cattle Company and was spitting cattle for uh, all the Lemmies and Simmies and Mains and Keys and a bunch of that stuff was just getting over here and those guys was spitting uh, them, taking them to shows, had show strings and stuff. That's kind of when all that stuff first started. And, uh, you bet. We were dra- dragging them to any and every fraternity that you could go to and and uh but and then i mean uh larry was teaching school and and alan was teaching school and and uh wearing out the ag pickups things things were a little different back then you know you could go do more things than you can do now the influence of kianina whenever you and others injected Kianina into, and that might be a, a 1970s deal or early 80s, I have no idea, but there was a time whenever cattle were short and pudgy back in the 50s and 60s, and then some of these full-blood Kianina bloodlines entered into the states, and, and then if you look at some of these old pictures from the 80s, they got really tall. I mean, they were tall, and I mean, could you just talk about like that that influence and and the old key cattle, they were known to be a little bit crazy, too, right? I mean, just tell a little bit about that history. Some, some of them were. Uh, actually, I bought a bull called Ferrigio that uh, Bob Reese up at Woodlake, Nebraska, had uh, imported in from Italy. And I was buying some cans up there, and he'd got that bull in. And anyway, I wound up buying him and. And we bred a bunch of cows. That would have been back when, oh, like David Jensen would have been showing a bunch of them big key steers. And uh, uh, they were buying and swapping a bunch of cattle up there around Valentine. And, uh, oh, they had some of them big old full-blood keys. My goodness, them things was big and tall. And But they've worked their way into the system, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, and yeah, some of them, some of them were crazy, and then some of them were just docile as sure. could be, you know. The, the yeah, I could really. I had I, I had could. neighbors that had them things, and they're just a, a five or six wire fence. They just jump it like a, a deer, yeah. you know. I'm <laughs> I could relate. I could relate that story to the modern day in terms of. Uh, I have a new bull called Jumpstart. He is out of the Riverstone Charm Cow, and he is amazing, and he's going to change this deal. I don't know if it's going to be in the show heifer game or in the club camp mother game, but I guarantee he's going to change the industry. Anyway, I'm not making this an infomercial, but most people, when I pull onto their property in the year 2022, and I say, hey, I'm your club calf guy. I've been coming here for 15 years. I think you need to breed to a purebred limousine. They look at me cross-eyed, Dean. And I guess my point is, a lot of them, the first thing they'll say is, I've heard those limousine cattle are crazy. And uh, it's funny to me because old Jumpstart himself and probably his sisters and whatever, 
uh, is a really docile line of uh, lim- limousine. And I mean, my daughter, my, my nine-year-old daughter, I could I could have her wash the jump start or lead him across the pen without any help. And uh, it's just interesting. My first inclination was those old key cattle were definitely crazy, but I wasn't living it back in the 1970s and 80s like maybe you were. Not all key and Enoch yeah. cattle were crazy. We messed with a bunch of limmies, and uh, I'm telling you, them there was more of them that was goofy than the than the keys. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like there was a bull called Dandy there yep. way back there, and I mean, some of them suckers was, you know, pretty pretty rank. And then round muscled, one gutted, big old strip of muscle right down the rib cage. And then probably the ones that I remember that was probably the very, very best ones that looked like changed the deal was when uh, uh, John Sullivan and them had a show string of them things and was winning with them. And them cattle got really good, you know. I want to know uh, your relationship with Russ Harkema. You and Russ, you and Russ were rocking and rolling on full throttle, full flush, maybe some other bulls that I'm not aware of. I, I've known Russ. Russ, a long time, uh, was in Russ's wedding. Uh, yep. Give give Russ a quarter of uh, full throttle for a wedding gift. And uh, yes, I'm so glad you told that story. You told me that before. What a guy, Dean Kephart, Canoe, Oklahoma. Most people give you a hundred dollars or uh, say a, a bread maker or a, a toaster for your wedding present. <laughs> Dean Kephart just Dean Kephart, he just gives a quarter semen interest in full throttle. As a, as a wedding gift. Well, Russ was coming by. I think it, Russ, that, when I met Russ, he was uh, he was working with Maddox down for with um, Buddy Priestmeyer, and uh, okay. they were fitting kids for Buddy down there. And Russ, of course, I knew Bobby. He was growed up thirty miles away, and knew. And still know Bobby's family, and still have a relationship with Bobby's family, and and some of yep. them. And uh, anyway, they uh, Russ got to coming by and hanging out, and he liked the cow deal. And I'd put some cows together that I thought was pretty good cows. And anyway, I'd sold Russ some cows and stuff, and we just we just become friends, and we bought and traded some cattle together, and and uh, just got along well so i mean yeah. that's kind of what it and was. i assume just knowing how the business works that russ brought certain stuff to the table that dean kephart might have not brought to the table or was he just a northern influence and you were a southern influence or could he clip pretty good or what was his intrigue to you yep yeah russ russ clipped for me and maddox clipped and i had a bunch of them guys come out and clip and some big name guys Bob Bruns, Mike Trinan, Bob May, oh, yeah. guys that are still good in the business and uh, been very successful in the business. Would be how did Russ? You guys are just buddies, I guess. I mean, if if uh, I mean you could have anybody clip for you. So I mean, it wasn't that Russ was a, the best clipper in the world. You just must have been a, a good friend of Russ Hart. I'll just Go ahead. I, you know you got you got guys that you get along with and you just. Uh, yeah. liked them and they become friends and that's what that's what Russ was and and, and he Absolutely. done a nice job of clipping and and sure. 
Russ was the kind of guy that everybody liked. And Russ, we yeah, sure. up, up through that Iowa country and, uh, I mean, lots of places from that yeah. to uh, California and everywhere. I mean, I can remember at one time when those snore girls was little and and showing. Oh, yeah. We sold a lot of, lot of steers to them them kids. And, uh, Heck, yeah. Anyway. Russ Harkema in the mid to late 90s and early 2000s, he was, you think of Tracy Gretzky in the heyday of Iowa. He's since moved to Texas, and he's still doing awesome. You think of Wade Rogers and his success at the Iowa State Fair over the last several years. I'm just saying, for those that don't know the backstory, Russ Harkema in the late 90s and early 2000s was those guys rolled into one. He was the man. He won the state fair multiple times. And if you wanted to win that show, if you're a Bob Manning and you wanted to win Iowa State Fair, you were coming to New Sharon, Iowa to buy one off of Russ Harkema. So I just, I think that would be a story that you would know, Dean, that you would know, Matt Shirley, but uh, that's your average person off the street. As time progresses, the memories fade. A guy, not everybody would know that that Russ Harkema was a badass uh, feeder, fitter, seller. And uh, to this day, I mean, he can get him right. He just had reserve at the Iowa State Fair last year with uh, the Tyler Rogers family from Iowa City. He was helping them, and they got reserved. So, anyhow, uh, we want to get Russ on the show. We want to get Dean on the show again, but uh, I think we've told some awesome stories today. Uh, I don't want to cut you short, Dean, because I know as we talked in private, you probably have a million stories to tell, and I want to tell some of your favorites. In the year 2022, you have multiple bulls, uh, but you do have one in particular that I've tried to buy off of you, and I said, name your price, and you said you didn't want to sell it, and I said, name your price, and you said you didn't want to sell it. And normally, I can get what I want, but whenever Dean Kephart's the seller, he don't have to take my shit, and he don't have to take my money, because he's got his own. So, I mean, to, to introduce him to the public, I'm sure many folks are aware of him, but you have a full brother to King Cobra that is double clean and is a badass. And I, I just bought him not too long ago. Matt, I, I've never seen him. Uh, I just bought him from word of mouth or some other guys. And uh, I actually, I needed a, a, a nice clean bull to clean up on some of these cows. And uh, hopefully he'll be nice enough that a few guys will use him. I mean, I'm not going to go out in the world and, and chase it sure. like uh, like you're doing. Hell, I can't afford to pay the diesel bill anymore like you boys can. I don't, I don't believe a word that you just said in the last sentence. Everything you said previous to that was 100% true. But uh, I'm going to do a little promoting for you, Dean Kephart. The bull, the bull's name is, the bull's name is Clean Cobra. He is a Here I Am Ali. He was raised by Dan Laufenberg, and you did buy him from uh, a Phil Halbach from uh, Woolstock, Iowa. I did offer to buy him or uh, buy him or buy an interest in him, but uh, you know, you do things a certain way. You are old school, and you don't need MLC's help. And uh, you're going to turn them out with your cows. And I did like the bull in person. It was probably a week to 10 days before that steer sells for 140000 And I went and looked at him at Phil Hallbuck. And I'm not trying to make myself sound smarter than I really am because I'm a fool most of the time. 
but it was just early enough in the year that I didn't know what I wanted to do on any King Cobra Brothers. But now, after a, a spring full of selling, I wished I could transplant myself back in time to that late February date and be like, yeah, Phil, Phil Hobach, I want to buy that bull before Dean Kephart buys him. It didn't work out for me because I made the decision not to buy him. So if that bull turns into the next here I am, like here I am turned into here I am, then I'll have another story to tell on a podcast in five to ten years from now. <laughs> well, I guess Tom will tell. Oh, I just didn't know. Uh, I guess you talked about that bull, uh, clean cobra, and needs a clean uh Clean bull. I just maybe how many uh, dirty cows do you, do you have, or what? You, what what kind of cows do you run? Well, oh, kind of most of my inter- interesting to hear. I think about you. Go ahead. Oh, most of the cows I run are are main cows, and honestly, I run a bunch of cows that are probably pH dirty, and not a ton of th dirty cows. But that being said, I might have a hundred of them because we're running lots of cows. But, uh, mm. uh, oh, I mean, I'm running some uh, some cows, some Monopoly cows, some heat, heat wave influence type cows. Uh, just, uh, I mean, some of them are dirty. I haven't tested all the cows. Yeah, that's, good. that's what I was going to ask you. Is if, you, if you test them or if you've been doing it long enough where you can just kind of look at them and no, I don't think there's nobody can just look and tell, and you can look and have a an opinion, but uh, I think you better test them if you want to know for sure. And I've tested a bunch of cows that of the cows that was pretty good producing cows, and then uh, yeah. then I kind of know where I am. And I've I've had to shoot some babies because of just what you said. If you could look at them, and I thought, well, she's not dirty, but yes, she was yeah. dirty. And, uh, yeah, I think everybody that does that has done what I just said. But just as a guy that hits the road quite a bit, Dean, I just want to explain to the audience that the way that you or Ward Eckloff or Barry Ryman—I'm not saying you guys are breeding a bunch of them dirty, undirty. I'm just saying the way that bigger operations that might run 500,000, 1,500 cows are doing things is probably just a little bit different than, say, John Q. Farmer from the middle of Ohio that has six cows because those guys are going to test every one of them, and they're going to know what their PHDS and TH status is. But, I mean, not, this is probably a terrible way to explain it, but at that level of cows, you probably don't have time to test every darn one of them, so it's more of a shotgun approach in terms of your approach to breeding them. Oh, that's absolutely right. And I tell you, it just it takes a, a lot of time and a lot more record book, and if you've got a bunch of farming <laughs> and you've got a bunch of things to do, you can't get it all done, you know. The, the big yeah. question is, if it was dirty, what do you do you still take that gamble? What? I got me one Mark Copa story to tell him. This might be a good cliffhanger to end the, end the podcast on. Uh, this is a story told to me by Phil Lautner, and I think everybody will love it. I mean, it's just it's just the mentality of an old club calf trader. Mark Copas was out at a guy's pasture in Indiana somewhere. This is probably 20 or 25 years ago. And he, and he, uh, they were driving through the calves, and there's this calf that was just a bit too straight. One of them that was on the borderline to being a great lawn. But ended up being too straight. 
And the breeder said, Mark, we just, we, we, we're not going to be able to get anything out of that calf. What should we do next year on that calf? And, uh, Mark looked him straight in the eye and he says, you know, I'd breed that cow back the exact same way because next year you probably hit the other side of genetic puzzle and, and you'll have a $20,000 steer. People would see a calf that's too straight and say, they definitely have to breed it to a different bull next year. Mark Kopis and his 40 years of experience, he said, ah, breed it back the same way. I bet you'll get a great one next time. A guy, a guy kind of wants, wants to breed down the middle and make sure you get everything sold. But. I mean, I know what you're saying, though, Matt and Dean. Like, if you breed for just nice, good calves that you can sell, I mean, you're going to yeah. get a bunch of $2,000 ones. And truly, as a club yeah, calf breeder, yeah. you got to be right, as Rick Fry said in his podcast, you got to be riding that edge on the verge of being out of control. If it was easy to raise that steer that wins uh, Georgia State Fair last year, no guts, no glory, MAB Irish whiskey. I mean, you think about that pedigree. That's a pretty. That's a pretty spicy pedigree. I mean, that's the way to do it. That's the way to do it anymore because there's so many people doing it. It's like mm-hmm. if you don't, you got. If you want to get, if, if them cattle are going to get noticed, you, you got to be way out on the edge. Uh, I appreciate you, sir. And I promise you, all your buddy, all your old buddies are gonna call and say, "Yeah, that that Matt Lauder's not a not, not a bad guy. We still don't like him, but he's he's not a bad guy. He's not that bad of a guy. He's doing nice little podcasts." <laughs> all right. Well, you be safe on the road. Appreciate you. We'll see you, boys.